right now we're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. If we put together science, technology, traditional knowledge, we can protect our planet. I wanted to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. Hi, and welcome back to People Taking Action, a podcast bringing inspirational stories of people around the world who are taking action against the climate crisis. Throughout the ups and downs in the battle for environmental sustainability, there are local heroes out there who carry on doing their work and making a difference. So we're here to bring their stories to you, have a relaxed discussion, and maybe bring you a little bit of inspiration along the way. My name's Alex Whitebrook, and with me, as always, is Khadija Stewart. Hey, guys! It's been a while. I know you missed that. You know, that hey, 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 it, hi, it's, hello. It's been too long. I mean... Okay, you know, okay. cards on the table. We're a little bit behind schedule, but I mean, it's it's, okay. it's been a it's been a great time. There's a lot of really cool stuff to come for season two, isn't there? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm so excited because season one was great. You know, it was good, but you see season two, guys, all in mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> next level. Next, we open it up. The quality, the interviewees, us, everything. Next level. I'm right, sorry, right, right, right. I'm hyped. Okay, I'm hyped. let's not let's not get people too excited. <laughs> Okay, all right. I'll humble myself. We're going to be good. We're going to be good. So today we're going to be kicking things off with Kimberly Warsham. Kim is the founder and principal of Flush, a water and sanitation consultancy. Kim is a water and sanitation specialist with over a decade of experience. She initially found her interest in WASH through the work that she conducted consulting in India and followed her passion through working in Australia, Kenya, Ghana, and Cambodia. So she's very internationally experienced in the WASH sector. And nowadays she's based in New York working with lots of different companies through her consultancy, Flush. She also conducts a lot of WASH education through Flush to help raise awareness among the public. So before we jump into a conversation with Kim, Khadija, what do you, what do you have to tell us about WASH? Okay, so this is Fun Facts with Cats. Cue music. Okay, so WASH <laughs> God, actually we should get you a jingle. <laughs> WASH stands for Water, Sanitation and Hygiene. And, you know, safe drinking water, sanitation and hygiene are all crucial to human health and well-being. Um, Safe WASH is not just a prerequisite to health, but it also contributes to livelihoods. You know, people attending schools, um, creating resilient communities, living healthy, living in healthy environments, etc. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. as a woman, you know, wash is ridiculously important mm-hmm. to us. I mean, I, I know for myself when I go places, I always need to use the bathroom. I need to find a bathroom and half the time there are no bathroom facilities. And if they do, it is in worst condition possible, which results in, of course, health. Um, implications, etc. And you know, approximately 673 million people still practice open defecation. And mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine doing that. I mean, I have unfortunately had to have done that before. But you know, like now, I, I can't imagine doing something like that now. And over 829,000 people die each year from diarrhea as a result of unsafe um, drinking water or sanitation condi- conditions, which are things that could be prevented. And I also found this insane fact that more people on this planet have a cell phone than access to 
wash facilities or like and a cell phone is something i mean it's important yes for business people etc but it's not a necessity something like sanitation conditions wash hygiene that is a necessity that is a part of life you know and like i mentioned lack of safe sanitation leads to illnesses diseases and these things ultimately affects children and women disproportionately we, we can't deny that. When you talk about sanitation as being a human right, you know, there are like five things that they mention. It must, it must be accessible. It must be affordable. It must be safe. It must be private. And it must ensure your dignity. And those are all important points. To narrow it down to the US a little bit, I'm sure we'll get into it more in the, in the episode talking to Kim. But even in a highly developed country like the US, there are a multitude of sanitation issues that you'll probably find shocking. For, for most Americans, obviously, yeah, water isn't really a second thought. It just, it comes when you turn on the tap and you've got access to a safe toilet wherever you are, even in public. It's, it's, it's fantastic that that's the case. However, a study last year found that more than 30 million Americans live in areas where water systems violated safety rules. So it's, it's a huge issue in the, in the States. 30 million is not a small number, even relative to the population of the country. And it's something that we definitely are interested in picking apart with Kim. However, it is unfortunate that for this first episode, <laughs> we're actually uh, recording this introduction after the fact. Yeah, guys. So 2020 really did a number on me. Like, wow, COVID, COVID-19. Yes, eh? she and as a she, she came out to do her thing. I came to the UK in February and I was supposed to just stay for like three weeks and I ended up staying until the middle of October because um, the borders to my country was closed, etc. It was a whole big drama. I literally had a whole year of my life put on hiatus and it was very stressful and getting home was 10 times more stressful and frustrating and recording just was not possible at that time. Sadly, I miss recording the episode but I know it's going to be great and kim is awesome so yeah episode is going to be great season two is amazing all right um we'll jump into into the interview and then afterwards we're going to come back with khadija and we're going to get her reaction <laughs> <laughs> all right have fun guys welcome kim to people taking action it's really a pleasure to have you on today thanks i'm really happy to be here i was wondering if you could just start off by giving our listeners a little bit of a personal story of how you got to where you are today. Oh, man. Do you have <laughs> 20 hours? It's a long story. Um, it's all right. Yeah. Give, give, us, give, give us the highlights. I have, I have seen it. It is a bit of a long story. I'm buckled it in. Is. Yeah. Um, I mean, God, where to start? So I guess I'll start the fun way. Um, so, you know, I was, as a little girl, I always had GI issues and I was always in the bathroom. You know, I'm used to, mm. my family would make fun of me because when we would go to restaurants, I would inspect the toilets before we would sit down because I knew I would be there at some point. Um, just, just as you do when you, when you're a little kid and you know, you have stomach problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I've always grown up r knowing where there's a toilet, like within like a, a half a mile radius of me, even in the city, I know which restaurants I can like slide into and be like, please, I really need to use it. Um, and they, they take sympathy on me. Uh, 
and then fast forward, you know, to when I became an adult and I was really trying to figure out how to make my living. I, I started my my education in business school thinking I'd be a marketing expert or like a, a media producer, like a, someone really working on films and entertainment. That's what I went to business school for and rapidly changed that to all of a sudden I want to work in developing countries doing I don't know quite yet what that is. So I went into doing a master's program for an NPA so I could kind of transition the business degree to something a little more, um, you know, development focused and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. got into a class about water and sanitation. I was going to be doing my capstone, which is like a thesis project. And yeah, got into a program where they wanted me to do this project on water and sanitation in India. And it was like a big light bulb came off for me. And I was like, oh, this is the thing. You know, and, and it, for me, it was like the, the culmination of all mm. the things I was interested in, you know, women's rights, education, economic empowerment, all wrapped up into sanitation really well, because mm. really you can't have those things work out without sanitation access and water as well. And I told my family and they're all like, yeah, no, that makes sense based on your upbringing. You really love toilets when you were a little girl. But, you know, then the global financial crisis happened. And so mm -hmm. I, I kind of got off course a bit and ended up doing lots of random jobs, working for pharma for a little bit, working in Rwanda as a math teacher, you know, did some work with the Bloomberg administration in New York City on workforce development. So not related to my passion, which is water and sanitation, mm -hmm. um, but kind of, you know, meandered for a while and then decided I wanted to get a second master's in Australia, uh, focus on water resource management and kind of highlighting the sanitation aspects and really kind of saying, okay, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do it all and I'm going to go 100% in and starting my company Flush soon after that as a way to kind of find my niche in, in the world of water and sanitation. It can be hard, you know, with a small yet obviously extremely important sector like this to to find your footing and you find your way into the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really frustrating, actually, and especially as, um, you know, a millennial who I think I'm a pretty creative person. I'm, I'm very entrepreneurial in my in my daily life anyways, very creative, mm -hmm. but trying to find a way to address that in such a small sector that really struggles with innovation and creativity mm -hmm. was just so frustrating. And, and also kind of, you know, I have this business background. I'm not an engineer, but most of my sector by and large are engineers. So mm -hmm. getting course. people to really hear me try to convince them, no, you actually need more than engineers to do this work. Maybe some of your issues are that you're all engineer focused and you don't say, have this. I think this is yeah. an issue that maybe the sector's only just waking up to in the past kind of 10 years yeah. kind of thing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Are you in the last five years? Because, you know, still now I, I have to convince people, no, really, you need business minded people because you're complaining you don't have money, but I can tell you why you don't have money. Like the the business model sucks, you know, or, or just saying like, hey, the way you're spending money may not make sense. Or do you have data on mm -hmm. how your performance is? No, I don't mean a baseline end line. I actually mean how you're doing on a daily basis. No. OK, well, that's a problem, you know, and and, and people just kind of looking at me being very confused. And I'm like, this is why you need more non-engineer folks. So it is it is very hard. And, and that's kind of also why I started Flush was going, you know, I don't know if there's a space for me yet. Maybe I have to carve it out. There's a need more than most public sectors, I think. You've said yourself that it's very difficult to make uh, sanitation sexy in marketing terms, you know? So it yeah, it's definitely something that the sector is only just waking up to. And it, it does take skill. And it's so... <laughs> mind-boggling that something that was so important to you when you were so young has become such a passion 
you mm-hmm. know, in your in your adult years in your professional life. I think that's that's really rare among people as well. I think it's it's fun now because in hindsight I can see the line very nicely. But mm-hmm. in my 20s, especially when I started with my career, I was lost. But I mean, it's it's also interesting now to you know to watch the sector when I when I say things like, hey we're not exactly communicating this very well Mm -hmm. as a sector. And now people are starting to say, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, maybe that's not how this works. Like maybe maybe writing academic articles and talking about p-values isn't the way to convince people that this is something they need to care about. The finance guys that you want to give you money, like they have zero interest in learning about like the specific details of like enteric dysfunction. You know, that's just not their... Yeah, that's not their that's not their lunchtime plan. You know, you got to mm-hmm. figure out how to really appeal to them. And it is really weird to watch the sector talk sometimes because I'm like, this is not how the rest of the world works. And to your point, in my 20s, when I was really kind of bopping around all mm-hmm. over the place, really frustrated. So I seen my friends kind of having that trajectory and, and saying, wow, I'm really fledgling right now. And and now kind of looking at it and going, oh, my God, my transferable skills are so important because mm-hmm. the sector, everyone stays in the sector for, you know, 30 years and they don't know how the rest of the world works. Even like two days ago, I was on a, on a webinar listening to this guy talking about performance based contracts, which the mm-hmm. sector thinks is this like, you know, shining star, new bright day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I worked on a project that was a performance based contract in another sector eight years ago. So you know, this is yeah. this is old hat, and everyone's like, "Why?" I'm like, "Yeah, the the rest of the world is ahead of you guys, and I can I can tell you, I can shepherd you into into how they all work because I've oh, seen it's it." It's incredible. It's incredible how siloed all of these all the different sectors, um, uh, especially in kind of when it comes to public administration, are. <laughs> Why don't you give us a bit more of your version of what Flush does, your your mission, and the kind of edutainment events and activities that you do, or who, sure. who you do them with? Sure. So Flush is a really new organization or company, really, all things told. So Flush is an acronym, Facilitated Learning for mm. Universal Sanitation and Hygiene. The ultimate goal of twofold. So the the first thing we're trying to do, and we're, we're working on right now, figuring out how to make it work is advisory services really with a business acumen focus trying to help organizations and companies working in and around water and sanitation helping them improve different business verticals like you know data management and performance management managerial accounting storytelling and marketing all of that internal stuff that a lot of organizations kind of don't think is important that's actually why they fail um, so really trying to help them figure that out to help them ultimately unlock finance because if they can actually get their systems sorted out the money comes a lot more easily and then on the other end which you you alluded to, you know, we do edutainment events as well. So edutainment being educational entertainment, uh, really focused on trying to champion sanitation and hygiene with the public. So really looking at adults in the Western world or high income areas and children trying to make it interesting and, and fun to talk about sanitation and destigmatizing the conversations because it's it's such a taboo and it really doesn't have to be if we can just make it slightly educational, a little quirky um, and make it, you know, something that, you know, people actually want to think about a little bit. Yeah, almost um, something that doesn't take itself 
too seriously, I guess, you know, like yeah. something that people can have fun with. And it's, it doesn't just have to be pipelines and infrastructure. It can also be people's right. stories and experiences. Yeah. And, and mm. also just, you know, showing people how on earth it works, because a lot mm. of people have no idea. But one of the biggest things yeah. people ask me when I go to networking events and they find out I'm a toilet expert is like, what happens when I flush? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's really important to know. Like, yeah, let's have that conversation and just kind of giving people that platform because no mm -hmm. one's doing that quite. So ultimately, like flush's purpose is really to be the sanitation superhero and really champion sanitation and make it do its best work. And I think, you know, we're a long ways from doing that in some ways and really trying to get the rest of the world on board with that superhero championing of sanitation in their own homes, but also mm -hmm. just globally. So we'll also do a whole bunch of other bits that are wrapped into all of those. So we do some fun trivia events. We're actually thinking about doing like a post Christmas flush 2020 down the toilet event with some organizations. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can I get an like a five day thing? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to be a whole thing. It's going to be like a scavenger hunt over like five days or something like that. Oh, um, amazing, that's the plan. Amazing. Yeah. So, so we do a lot of bits. I think right now I'm a little overcommitted to be honest, mm -hmm. but part of it is just creating that platform for people to start asking questions about, well, what about this? Can we do that differently? Um, and not the same the same things we complain about in in like the daily conferences you know people are now starting to talk about decolonization in the development sector and mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. flush is very much trying to be a part of that by looking to see Absolutely. what is the makeup of leadership and sanitation is it all white guys the answer mm -hmm. is probably yes yeah but what does that look like and why? And what do we do to actually shift that conversation to actually help boost us forward as well? So that's, again, wrapped up into like all of the other different bits. I mean, there's a lot to unpack. You, obviously, Flush takes on a lot of, of work, um, almost, you know, <laughs> playing both sides of the business side of things. But also, I, I love the focus on the public because it's something that you're so right, just doesn't get enough attention. I think mm -hmm. that one thing I'd be really interesting to hear would be your own perspective from the states, because in the development sector, people talk about the sanitation gap, the the fact that there are two, two billion people without access to mm -hmm. safe toilets still today. Mm -hmm. But there's a gap even in highly developed countries like the states. Do you aim to have an impact there, you know, at, at home as well? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, COVID's really made it hard for Flush to do work overseas anyways. But mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the, the advantages we have with having these kind of edutainment classes is also educating the Western world about how not sufficient a lot of our sanitation and water services are. Like to your point, there's there's kind of this general assumption, I think, especially in the US that everything's sorted out everything's fine, everything works, and everyone has the same access to everything so we can move mm -hmm. on. Um, when really, I mean, there's more and more research showing that, you know, over over a million people in the U.S. don't have piped water in their house, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, if we're looking at access to sanitation, those numbers are much higher. And yeah. we have stories and about, you know. Shocking. That is shocking. It there's is, no, it is. There's no other word for it. Well, and, the, and those that do have access, you know, one of the things I keep saying to people, I'm like, you might have a toilet that flushes, but if you're on a septic tank, you might just be waiting and shit in your in your lawn if it's yeah. not managed well. And you know, there's stories in Alabama of people walking around in cesspits in their house because there's their septic tank failed and they don't know what to do about it or they can't afford to fix it. It's a really hard system to mm -hmm. manage because mm -hmm. it's underground and there's a lot of questions about if, if septic tanks are even safe. In that climate, 
in yeah. around Alabama, the South. Obviously, there's a huge, huge public health concern about that kind of thing Absolutely. because of um, hookworm and this kind of thing, isn't, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, mm. a third of Alabama County has hookworm, or at least they did a couple of years ago, which it's here. It's just we, we don't talk about it. And the thing I'm also trying to make clear to people now is the people who have money will always have a toilet. And this has been the case for 5,000 years. You know, if you're a wealthy, you have a toilet of some sort. It may not look the same as the one we have now, but you had something like that. Whereas everyone else has to figure something else out, you know, if whether it's open defecating, you mm-hmm. know, especially if you're like a houseless person who lives in an urban area, or if you're in, you know, rural Appalachia and you don't have good access to sanitation options. And so you use an outhouse and then, you know, that leaks into your well water or it leaks into yeah. your, your rivers and stuff like that. And it's, it's interesting in my classes because I always try to bring it back to like, and, you know, I'm talking about Cambodia, but this is what's happening in the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. And people are always gobsmacked, you know, saying, oh, my God, that's happening here. I'm like, yeah. And I imagine you're dealing with, you know, wash professionals and this kind of thing as well. Well, and, and a lot of wash professionals. I mean, we don't have a wash sector in the U.S., but there's this guy named... Um, George McGraw, who runs Dig Deep, who's like one of the only wash organizations in the U.S. working with Native American communities. Mm -hmm. And he's really advocating that, you know, the U.S. needs a wash sector. And I'm all like, yes, we do. It is it is always amazing to watch like the wash sector pushback of, well, no, the U.S., that's where we're getting all of our skill sets from. I'm like, the U.S. is not doing it that great. You know, or I have a friend in Canada or who was in Canada she did um, a pit emptying training in Canada just to see what it was like. And she's in the wash sector. Mm-hmm. And she told me, she was, you know, the, the pit emptying, you know, workshop I took in Senegal was better. And the Canada one is, wow. you know, how people get trained to do the, the job professionally and get licensed. So, you know, we have a lot to learn and we have a lot to learn across the borders. There is a lot to learn. I think that in my own experience, my own research, I found that there are so many new technologies in the wash sector that are currently being pioneered or, but these are very localized and very disconnected. It's really hard to scale them. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just hard. I mean, especially with like the on-site sanitation solutions, they're really important an mm-hmm. important part of you know getting people access to sanitation you know and people say well they're cheaper than sewers and that is true on the upfront cost but the operating costs of moving waste regularly and you know the wear and tear on the roads and you know just having roads like if it's if it's flooding in Nairobi how do you get the you know the waste out if all of the roads have washed away those are legit problems and and it's really hard to to scale them but also to kind of systematize them and and not and make sure that no one falls between the cracks and that's the thing too about the sector and technology is they're very interested in in the the flashy kind of technology i find right now i know mm-hmm. like gates has put out a lot of fun stuff of of toilets that are you know do all kinds of wacky things Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just not affordable and, yeah. and affordable to scale. I mean, the economy is a skill you would need to make that happen. You were just not there. And then on the, on, the, on the flip side, I feel that the the larger infrastructure projects that could resolve long-term issues, like you said, they have a, a high upfront cost and the funding isn't there on that side. It's like, a very um, stuck between a rock and a hard place situation <laughs> for WASH. It is. It is. And and no one's really figured out how to you know marry those issues in a, in a great way. I think we're getting there. Yeah, this is what 
sparked flush for, for you as well, isn't it? This is the kind of the service that you're trying to provide, connecting mm-hmm. funding to the WASH organisations that need it. What do you think would be the ultimate aim of, of flush that you'd like to see? Uh, well, right now, because it's so new, I'd love us to be able to break even because uh, mm. we're a new of company. <laughs> this is something to know. I think, you know, one of the things I want to make sure is it's not that just the Kim show. I, I want to make sure that other people in the sector who are also focused on this stuff have a chance to flourish and, mm-hmm. and really push the envelope. I think if we can have teams of people, Ghanaians and Ghana, who can work, run with Flush's values and approach and actually help the teams on the ground fix local NGOs, not just the big ones that everyone knows, but you know, fix the the little ones where the, the small operators are able to do their jobs. And it would be nice to have sanitation have its its day in the media instead of a novelty. You know, like we talk about um, the AIDS movement in the 80s and 90s. I mean, mm-hmm. they put a lot of, you know, entertainment behind it to really, mm-hmm. and edutainment as well, to really get people to feel compelled and motivated to to move that sector forward. And we're at a place now where they're starting to talk about cures and, and vaccines for AIDS because they've had so much. I think if, if Flush could actually spark general movements where people are, are having conversations and the media started to mm-hmm. plug it more in movies and whatnot, but yeah. also mm-hmm. that the, the sector, the management of the sector is able to meet the cause and yes. isn't just kind of struggling and flailing because that's how you lose attention too is it's like we have this thing who's like who's doing great work okay guys like fix the thing and then the sector's like well hold on let me just pull out my you know my spreadsheet and then you lose everyone's interest so if Mm -hmm. we can marry it so that the the interest in the sector is met by sanitation organizations who are better equipped and have better management services and are able to mobilize that financing, I think that would be like the dream come true for Flush. Do you think that the biggest challenge for the the sector as it stands today is is connecting WASH services and, and those seeking WASH funding with other areas that attract more funding? I don't know if I phrased that very well, but... Like they're, that they're really siloed? Yeah, because because they're yes, because they're really siloed. Do you think that's the biggest challenge is overcoming that? You you talk about you know old codgers reaching for their Excel spreadsheet and not being not being really ready to take action as soon as it's it's needed as soon as the the hype is there around the topic. I think there's a lot of issues, but I think mm-hmm. that the siloedness of the sector is massive because mm-hmm. um, it also means that we've kind of got these blinders on and. We don't see, well, first of all, we don't even see the progress sometimes that we're making internally. So Mm -hmm. some organizations that have great progress don't really get championed. But then also there's there's stuff where we're kind of reinventing the wheel sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. or like having conversations when it's so easily fixed if we just like, you know, borrow from another sector what they're what they're doing or what they've done and get in the other sectors involved. Because, you know, it's one thing to put in a toilet, but if it's just a toilet program, I, I don't know how sustainable that is if it's not tied to the rest of the household or, or mm-hmm. the school or whatever. So I think that's the definitely a big is issue. there as well, isn't it? There, we know mm-hmm. that WASH has a huge impact uh, downstream, so to speak, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on communities, on education. on Yeah. It's essentially, to me, it's the center of the development universe, you know, like sanitation and water, you know, making sure people have those things it makes it a lot easier to make other programs successful. Absolutely. But I also think one of the biggest challenges we have in the sector is not just the silos, but also there's there's kind of an elitism, I think, in the sector that's that's made it really challenging 
for the sector to move forward. They're really very reliant on academia, which which has its purpose, but you know, it really makes it hard to show progress on the ground because, you know, academic institutions are not built to scale programs. They're meant to pilot and test. But then if all of our programs that are doing well are just pilot testing programs, how do we actually get them to move forward when they're actually doing a good job? Mm Because essentially once a student gets a PhD, is that program going to continue going on only if the student decides that that's what they want to put their life on, you know? So I think there's that big issue as well as we need to start really having more practitioners and you know the the academic world can be involved it but maybe maybe it needs to you know not have the spotlight as much that's an interesting point and i think it it speaks to the colonial mm-hmm. aspects of the wash sector as well because the actual management and construction of wash infrastructure is so far removed from from their reality i think i think so that that's kind of one of the things we're trying to figure out with this research we're doing is Mm -hmm. you know if you know how many people in the sanitation leadership world are from lower middle income countries i mean is it mostly a bunch of people from the west um are the offices or the headquarters not in local areas you know like are i can think of a few organizations that do have you know headquarters in in country on the ground, but I'm finding it's not that common, especially for the big names. And if if there is a leader in the sector who's from low middle income country, do they have a PhD? Like that's something that I'm curious, like can you only become a leader in the sector if you have a PhD, if you're mm, from a low middle income country? If you're on the academia side, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, you know, because again, if you got a degree in the UK, but you're, you're actually Ethiopian and you want to go work in Ethiopia, but you could only get the job you want because you got a PhD in, in the UK. I mean, that's such a financial burden, but also it's just making a lot of assumptions about where the knowledge actually sits in the sector. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Hate to rag on the UK because you're there right now, but that's, that's <laughs> one no, example. I mean, it's, it's true. The UK has plenty of its own sanitation issues, especially mm-hmm. in some of the larger, older cities. Where the sewers are far oh, too yeah. old. Oh yeah. Well, London. You guys are still mm. th- using the same sewers from the 1850s. Yep. It's not great. Sometimes <laughs> there's a big problem over here with fat burbs. Speaking of maybe some some topics that are gaining more traction in the media in wash. Yeah, I have an entire class about fatbergs mm, and mm. people show up because they're fascinated. But it's I mean most of the cases I have are from the UK because you guys also don't have like grease trap regulations so you have a lot of just grease and fat in the in the sewers and and people are always just like sending me videos and and links of like i found another one in the uk i'm like i know i feel bad for them they spend a lot of money on those things Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) this reminds me of um another little something that you wrote about in one of your articles where you spoke about not just sewerage but talking about plastic pollution as well and integrating that into the plastic pollution conversation because that's another topic toilets trash and toilets there you go that's something that's just so needed is that something that you try to focus on with flush as well a bit we actually don't focus on the plastic necessarily as much because mm-hmm. you know when we think about landfill and if we look in like especially in like sub-saharan africa i've done mm-hmm. some res- like some work on this more than half of the solid waste we put in landfill is organic it's it's our food scraps you know it's our leaves and when it isn't allowed to kind of naturally decompose in as it doesn't in the landfill you know that's a festers and it becomes you know basically a form of sludge that is 
pretty unpleasant and, you know, can damage your environment. Um, but then also we have like hazardous waste, you know, there's, there's all this other stuff. Plastic's tricky because there's not really a market right now to buy plastic. I'm, sh- I'm sure you've like mentioned this in other podcasts, but sometimes it, like the plastic you find, it's because people use, you know, their pit latrines the same way as a trash bin and they'll put yeah. all of their other waste in it. So everyone kind of thinks waste is waste. And mm-hmm. so they kind of try to use the same receptacles and that's just not how the systems work and it shouldn't be how the systems work. And and it's like this question, sorry, that's my dog coughing. Um, that's all right. She is, she's on my lap right here. So. Oh, has she been there the whole time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, these are the kind of moments where I wish that this was like a video <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, she's like going, eh, eh, like oh. on my lap. And I'm like, you probably it's hear this, that in my It's headphones. all this toilet talk. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to have to put She's... a warning in this episode just to make sure any, any of our viewers aren't eating when they start listening. <laughs> no. She's a very good pooper, so that does help me quite a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I waste waste is waste and there's why why do we put everything in landfill? And we put we put our human waste in landfill too. I mean, in the US, yep. About 25% of the waste that we have from the wastewater treatment plants, that's just our like, you know, uh, dehydrated poo goes mm-hmm. in the landfill. It's not mm-hmm. used for anything. And so it's all linked. And so we're definitely working on ways to kind of, we want to make a class about toilets and trash mm-hmm. um, for people haven't figured out how to make that fun other than Oscar the Grouch. So if anyone has ideas <laughs> um, about how to, how to make a class like that fun, um, other than just kind of talking really technical bits about mm. like, the trash system. Um, Because also, I mean, this is something that might be interesting to somebody, but process for toilet waste and the the process for trash, they're they're very much identical in a lot of ways. Or not Mm -hmm. identical, but they're very, very similar. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the systems are the same, the processes are the same, the issues are the same, because trash also breeds disease. Um, just in slightly different ways than human mm-hmm. body waste does. And it all has to be transported, contained, and processed. And Yeah, yeah. and hopefully reused. Like, mm-hmm. that's the ultimate goal right now. Why don't we integrate these guys? You know, the, if the systems are so similar, if the issues are the, sa- the same, there's, there's some reasons, but, like, we should mm-hmm. find solutions to make it so you can do both. That's a great point to wrap up on, I think. Did you have any last thoughts? Uh, a, a lot of people in this show have ended up leaving something inspiring or something motivates them they wanted to share with the listeners. Well, I mean, to plug Flush, I guess, we do have a little education portal on the site. So if you want to learn a little more about toilets and not necessarily want to talk to me or mm-hmm, go to my mm-hmm. classes, we have a place on flushwash.org where you can learn a little more about toilets in your home in an interactive way. Um, I guess my parting thought is don't flush anything down the toilet that's not coming out of your body or is toilet paper. <laughs> that includes wet wipes. Don't flush wet wipes for the love of God. Don't I flush love them. It. I love it. We need that <laughs> PSA. Where can the people find you? Where would you like to... Uh... We would like people to reach out if they've got some great ideas other than Oscar the Grouch for your next edutainment <laughs> experience. And if you have other uh, cartoons you want to send to me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always happy to take toilet pictures if people want to send those. Um, yeah. You what, can like shocking em- toilet pictures? <laughs> any. I'm, I'm able to filter myself so I can, I can manage that. That's such um, a unique be- question for our audience. I love it. Send me toilets. <laughs> yes. Email me um, at Kim, K-I-M, at flushwash.org. Flush as in what you do with the toilet. Wash as, a, as in what you do with your hands.org. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. I've really appreciated your candidness, your frankness about this topic, because it's something that's refreshing in the sector. There are a lot of great people out there like you who are trying to make a difference in this sector. So it's, it's promising to see to see progress. Thank you. Hopefully we'll see more progress soon. Yes, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Thank you very much. It's been fantastic having you on. Thank you. I've been happy to be on. It's been fun. Okay, well, that was a really fun discussion for me. I mean, I just really, I really loved Kim's energy and it was fantastic to to get to know her story a little more and not just the work that she does, but to really feel like she was coming from a very personal perspective. And I, th- I think we get that a lot with, with our interviewees. They really open up and we have a really chill, relaxed discussion. But um, yeah, it was great to just talk shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, what did you think, Khadija? You've had you've had a listen to the to the interview since I since I recorded. I think the conversation was really good, and like you said, I loved her energy, etc. I love her passion behind it and her story behind it. A lot of people get into different fields and to, and to like do jobs for all sorts of different reasons, and this is something that's like you mentioned, really personal to her. And you can see that she's a hundred and two percent invested in it and really changing or I don't know transforming wash, not just in the U.S. but like everywhere and she brought up some key points like something as simple as elitism in the sector that's that's a huge point we tend to not think about wash in a sense in general especially people who have access to like safe toilets etc but then they're the ones that sitting down on a golden throne with like 15 toilets in their house for no good reason when there's somebody else that is you know using their yard or etc and i i don't know i don't know i just it's not right she's in a very interesting and unique field and i am ready for her to keep pushing the conversations that need to be had because these conversations aren't happening it's great that we have people like her out there trying to actually get the common person engaged yeah like she said make sanitation sexy and you know destigmatizing the conversation i can't wait to see how far she goes with with all of this that she's doing uh well that's everything for today thank you very much for tuning in it was really great to have a really in-depth chat with kim and uh, we hope to stay in touch with her and, and bring her back on another episode in the future. Yeah, so as always, if you like what you heard, make sure that you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at PTA Pod. And we have a Patreon, guys. We want to keep bringing you this amazing content. So check out our website and join our Patreon. We've already got some really great supporters over on Patreon, and it's fantastic to have people there making this podcast possible and helping to to push us to bring more fantastic content to your ears so please do consider going and joining thank you again to legion x for the fantastic theme we used to mix together our intro and thank you again for tuning in we'll see you on the next one bye